basically anybody who is growing frustrated, not seeing their debt reduced, um, they just can't, they're, they're just, they're, they're feeling strangled by these monthly payments to the creditors and they can't do it anymore. Call us. We'll, we'll, and, and if we can't help you, we'll point you in the right direction. We're either going to point you toward consumer credit counseling, bankruptcy, or simply doing nothing. You might be judgment proof. You might get sued and there's no money that they can take from you. Welcome to another special co-production of the Documental and News from the Unsold Universe podcast. I'm your host and producer, Whitney McKnight, in Eastern Kentucky. In this episode, we are exploring the moral injury of the debt industry. And my guest is Marie Meggie, owner of the Michigan-based debt counseling firm, Donaldson Williams. Marie has been helping people come out from underneath the crush of debt since 2006. She'll be sharing with us some history of the debt industry, and then we're going to discuss who's a good candidate for the kind of debt counseling that she provides, because not everybody actually is a good candidate. We'll get into that. Also, I want to be sure that we explore how come I personally, anyway, find the debt industry morally destructive to everyone that it touches. But first, I want to say hello. Welcome, Marie. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I know my listeners are excited. Thank you so much, Whitney. I appreciate it. How I found you was that after I went through a bout of insanity in my life that included a family illness, divorce, death, under and then unemployment. And of course, the only way you can get through that kind of crap storm is using your credit cards a lot of times. So the principal on my debt hit pretty much it was 30%. And I just said, look, I will pay my debt back, but this is ridiculous. I can't ever get out from underneath and and hit the principal if I'm always paying a 30% interest rate. So I just felt like I was dealing with loan sharks. You were dealing with loan sharks. It is credit card debt at 30% interest, 24%, even 16%, in my opinion, is the legal definition of loan sharking. I mean, they're legally able to do it. And I just find that absolutely disgusting. It is disgusting. And we'll we'll get we'll circle back to that because when you get a credit card, you have to agree to that. That's in that fine print. But you don't get a choice. And you can never really fully understand what you're signing up for. But what has happened is that we can't function in this society anymore unless we do have a credit card. So we're victims. I mean, there's no way we have no leverage whatsoever. And I found myself in that position. And so um, I just said, I'm not going to do this. And, and because as I've written and this, this excited my audience, you know, I told them a little bit about what we were going to be talking about. I was one of the people who got victimized by Wells Fargo. And I was not going to go through something like that again. That was four years of my life. And it was so destructive. Basically, Wells Fargo just said I had a home equity loan that I didn't have. And it, it, it was a long story. It's a very confusing story. There were some things that um, I would have done differently if the bank had been honest, but they weren't honest. And they kept, whoops, air quote, losing my paperwork. So I just don't trust these people at all. I don't. I do not trust them. And I don't think there's any reason any of us should trust them. So I knew I needed a warrior 
on my team. So <laughs> that is why I, when I found uh, Marie, because I, I sure as heck was not going to go directly to the banks and negotiate because as I said in my, uh, my promo, it's like asking, it's like being an abused wife and then asking the husband who beats you, could you please help me nurse all of the broken bones that you just created? That's how I look at these people. That's, uh, that is an excellent analogy. Excellent. Yes, they are. And you know, that's, that is how a lot of people turn to Donaldson Williams for assistance. Many, many people I talk with, they inform me that they reached out to their creditors to get some form of relief. And every single time they are turned down, the creditors are not willing to lower the payments, lower the interest rates, give these people better terms. So they, they are left with no choice. The creditors are doing this to themselves um, as far as people being forced into either bankruptcy or a, a some type of a settlement. So well, why why is that to their advantage? You would think that negotiating with people would be a good business practice. There is no reason that these these creditors should, but it's it's so much red tape, so much bureaucracy, you know, and I did. I reached out. I think I told you this. I reached out to top executives at these credit card companies and there's just no changes have ever been made. They're just not willing to assist you. Now, if you are delinquent, at that point, there might be some um, relief, but most consumers don't, don't know that, you know, and a lot of people don't want to become delinquent. That is one of the first entry points where I think they do moral injury because I was like that. I don't want to be late. I'm, I mean, if you look at my credit history, I am never late. I don't pay my bills late. I don't. Right. And the ways that you start the negotiations in the situation is, is you have to stop paying your bills. Right. That's the only way that you can get their attention. That yeah. is harmful to your moral code. Okay. Yes. Well, and you know, too, I think that the creditors, they're, they're, they're being paid. So they feel like, all right, we're being paid. Why do we want to help you? You know, you're already paying us. So why should we offer you any type of assistance. We are charging you 30% interest. We're getting your monthly payment. We have no incentive whatsoever to help you. Do you think that's true though, at the level of the individual that you call, or like just the customer service person? They're, they're, not, they're not horrible people. I mean- No, their hands are tied. Their hands are tied. So yes, your representatives, you know, the customer service representatives are not horrible people whatsoever. I'm sure they feel your pain, but there's nothing they can do. You know, they take their direction from the higher ups and that's the bottom line. Right. And that is the other reason I think this is moral injury is that, you know, you've just reiterated, they don't have a good business case for not negotiating with people. But what they do have is a great business case for enslaving people to a system they can never get out of, because then you don't have to work that hard. And you've always got people that you know will just give you free money. <laughs> exactly. you know, and now you've got all these, these pop-up um, loan companies, personal loan companies that are out there advertising and you know saying, get out from your high interest um, credit card debt, we can help you. And then, yeah, they might give you, you know, if you're paying 30%, they're going to offer you maybe 16%. And there's also um, fees that go along with that, you know, uh, application fees and everything else. So it's it's just terrible. And then when people do consolidate their debt, whether it be through a home equity loan 
or one of these um, personal loan companies, oftentimes these same people, they end up charging up their credit card debt again because now they've got all this extra credit and they, 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 they haven't quite learned. So how come you made this your life's work? Well, you know, it wasn't necessarily by choice. I um, ended up going to work part-time. I, I was a real estate agent and then I um, ended up pregnant. My, my husband and I, it was an unexpected pregnancy and I thought, well, you know what? I stayed home with the first two kids. I'm going to stay home with this child. So I did. And then my husband got laid off. So I found a part-time job and it happened to be in this industry. And that was back in 2001. And it just, I was shocked that this was even a thing that, you know, that people could actually settle their debt for less than what they owed. And so I worked for this gentleman for about five years, and then I went off on my own and started my own business. And I was extremely passionate. I love helping people. Um, and I did. I, I reached out to, like I said, many executives. I really wanted to make this work for my clients. And, you know, a lot of times we act as therapists <laughs> for our clients because yeah. it's it's a very... Yeah. Um, trying time for people who are in debt. And then when they choose to go this route, you know, their their accounts do need to become delinquent. And it's difficult for your average debtor. They don't want to be delinquent on their debt. They want mm -hmm. to pay those, um, but they're forced into this. So, you know, um, we do, we act as therapists, we try and get the, them through it. It's, it's like I said, it's a very trying time for our clients. And we understand that facing my own issues, already being employed in the business, it was much more terrifying for me to settle my own debt than it was to settle my client's debt. So that I think may have provided me the empathy I needed to have that much more compassion for our clients. Um, because I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't do such a good job settling my own debt because I was emotional. Um, you know, I do much better as a professional settling debt than I did, at, you know, doing it on my own. Well, that makes perfect sense, though, because it's an attack on on the core of who you are. That is going back to that moral injury. It's just you start to get the emails, you start to get the letters and you start to be told, you know, basically you're a piece of crap. You're a piece of crap. But you're like, I'm not a piece of crap. And and then you, you feel threatened and you feel cornered. And when you say that you act as a therapist, you and, and your colleague um, who, who do this um, together, I would say based on what you just explained, it's more than just being a therapist. It's, it's also being an advocate because the way that you've structured this and man, I know this because when I dealt with Wells Fargo, I was I was on my own. And that was four years of hell. And I was so lucky. I had a boss who I told her the situation and I was mortified to have to tell her the situation I was in because I felt like I was guilty, but it was guilty of nothing, guilty of nothing. I explained it. And she said, okay, because I was a reporter at the time. She said, if you just make your deadlines and you do what needs to be done, I'll pretend I don't know anything about this. And you just, if you need to take phone calls, you go take your phone calls, just don't miss your deadlines. And she was amazing. And I ended up basically 
getting myself sorted with Wells Fargo over the course of four years as a part-time job. I literally would spend between 20 and 30 hours a week on the phone with these bastards. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very time consuming. When you and your colleagues work as advocates, what you've done that I think is so brilliant, you save so much agony for the person because I did go through this with Wells, with Wells Fargo. You take over every communication that happens with these creditors. So your clients never have to be abused emotionally. You put no. yourself between the client and the bank. No, they don't. Now, I will say this. Don't think for one moment that these creditors aren't going to try and reach our clients. And they do try to reach our clients. Um, but we just advise the clients, don't answer the phone calls. They're, you know, you've hired us. Let us do that for you. Um, there's no reason for you to take that abuse from them. And they, they, and some of these collectors can be very aggressive and abusive. Yeah, even though there's a law preventing it, but still, yeah. Yes, yes, that's true. And, um, you know, and um, creditors, the, the original creditors, they're not necessarily bound by those collection practices that the um, debt collectors are, you know, like the collection agencies. So, um, and then also, and this is off topic a little bit, but do you know that commercial credit, they've got no protection. I mean, so if it's consumer credit, you you have protections. Um, uh, commercial credit, we've got clients who have businesses. Oh, they are just totally abused. You know, if it's a, it's a, it's a business debt. So, well, let's let's pull out a little bit and look at this from a um, kind of a bird's eye view. I want to talk a little bit about the history of debt. So, the Diners Club card. I but, haven't seen a Diners Club card in years. Yeah, so. I don't think that I, they must have gotten gobbled up by all of the different mergers. But um, so Diners Club, that was the, the beginning in this country of people saying, I'll pay you later in a structured way that actually was corporatized. Once that started yeah. happening, as is always the case as somebody who used to cover the healthcare industry and antitrust, corporations are always, business is always out ahead of legislation. Always, man, they they get out there and they are doing their stuff long before any congressperson or senator ever catches up. The industry went nuts in the 60s. They did their own research and decided, oh, these people have good credit or they have this amount in the bank. So they were they were targeting, they were profiling who in, of course, you know, it was like white men, who in this country would be a good person to get hooked on credit. And then they would just send credit cards for the, the gas companies, oil companies, retailers, they would just send credit cards in the mail unsolicited to all of these people that they'd profiled as being good candidate. They were going to start turning these people into little easy money streams. Of course, women were not allowed to have a credit card without their husband until I think the late, late 70s, maybe in the early 80s. So this was going on. But then, of course, that's great for identity theft. right? So once people started figuring out that free money was sitting in people's mailboxes, that created Congress to finally, about 10 years later, actually 1968, the Truth in Lending Act and then the Unsolicited Credit Card Act. And there started to be some regulation around this industry. But really what happened was that in the 1980s, when uh, financial deregulation was happening and global finance started to really get its roots established. We had dismantling of our antitrust and basically any kind of economic law enforcement in this country and also in the UK. 
And banks started to um, really lean hard on selling credit cards. I remember being in college in the early 80s and I went to some, you know, like, welcome, you're a freshman and here's your credit card. And I literally did nothing. And I got I got handed a credit card <laughs> and I was stupid. I used it. What was what was the limit that they gave you back? $500, $500. And it wasn't long before I hit it. Whitney, I was given a credit card and I, I had no idea how credit worked. I had no clue. I was given a credit card in 1983 with a $5,000 limit. Oh, I, wow. I thought I hit the jackpot. Wow. What happened? So what, how did, how, how did that turn out? I just kept using it and using it and using it. And one day I went Christmas shopping and it was declined. <laughs> I couldn't understand it. I had maxed it out. Wow. Okay. So you were getting billed. Were you looking at the statements and stuff? Yeah. It didn't take me long to spend that $5,000. <laughs> I learned a, a, a lesson very, very early on. So. Do you remember what the interest rate was? Uh, it, no, I don't, but it had to have been at that time, the interest rate on my home was quite high. It was probably 13%. Wow, so no. the credit card had to have been way up into the twenties. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because oh, when I it. bought my first house in 1981, the interest rate was 16%. So yep. Yep. yeah, they were very high back then. You know, you make a really interesting point. If you think about it. Um, that was also what, what I was getting ready to say is the 80s is when we were taught, air quotes, to lean on credit. They found all the, the places where they could make credit sexy to a large number of people and they did it. Right. That right. was also at the time when inflation was really high, interest rates went up. Yes. This is also 1981, this is the beginning of the Reaganomics era. This is a real shift in how our economy worked. And it's yes. fascinating to me that we're back at that point again, inflation, interest rates, what's going on. And what's really interesting is, is that, so in the process of my working with you, and we'll get into actually the process itself in a moment, I had to give up my credit cards. I had a couple. And so I'm using my debit card because I can pay for things. But it's yes. amazing how not having a credit card hampers your ability ability to get anything done. So what began in the 80s was little by little, we became reliant on the credit card industry to get anything done. It's very difficult to rent a car. And they always blame COVID. Oh, people were doing bad things during COVID. Like who was going anywhere during COVID? But I kid you not, to not have a credit card, you virtually can't get anything done. And if you say, well, I have a debit card, I go, well, we're going to put a really large hold on your bank account through your debit card until you finish the transaction with them. And, you know, and, and I have to admit, I personally use one particular credit card for just about everything because of the rewards that I'm given. But, well, but that's the way that they keep you hooked in. It's built into the system. Yes. Yes. And, but I will say this, I've got a reminder on my phone every day at one o'clock PM to look at, at that credit card and pay it. Every day, every day I make a payment on that credit card to, wow. to make sure that it will never have a balance. Oh my gosh, that's that's like almost OCD. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just employed in the the industry that I see what happens, and it's like, nope, not not going to have a credit card balance because uh, because it is you can get in a lot of trouble. 
So what, okay, I don't know where we should start first. So we start with what happened in 2008 and why your company actually has proven it's trustworthy, or do you want to get into who's the right person to come and work with you and how do you evaluate the customer? I think that's a good start as far as uh, evaluating who would be a good candidate for our services. And there's a little test we have on our, our website if if debt settlement is right for you. Um, they can take a little quiz. Some people, and, and we're honest, we're not going to take you on as a client if we can't help you. You know, for instance, some people don't want their credit to become compromised. Um, and it is going to become compromised as a result of this particular option to get out of debt. And the reason it becomes compromised is because the accounts do need to go delinquent before your creditors will even consider settling the debt. Um, so if you don't want that and you're just looking for perhaps a lower interest rate and some lower payments, consumer credit counseling might be a better option for you. But unfortunately, it doesn't provide enough relief for so many people. So they end up going this route instead. So a good candidate is somebody who's going to have access to sufficient funds at some point down the line to be able to offer settlements to their creditors. Because if funds are not going to exist to offer a settlement, you're just, you're not a good candidate for us. Um, and basically what people do is they, um, they're feeling overwhelmed. When, when they reach out to us, they're feeling overwhelmed by the payments that they're making to their creditors and they're not seeing their balances, you know, uh, reduced at all. Um, they're just basically paying interest. They're, and these people are becoming frustrated and they are concerned. Uh, what if an emergency takes place? What if they, you know, what if they're looking forward to, to retirement and they've got all this debt? So they want some relief. You know, let's say their, their credit card payments are $1,000 a month. And they just can't do it anymore. But they think they might be able to set aside $700 a month. Even that $300 is a relief to them. So they discontinue making their payments and they set that $700 a month um, aside. And then in the coming months, what we do is we offer that money to their creditors to settle the accounts for less than the full balance. If you're in a situation like that where you think you can do this, that's wonderful. Some people um, are very fortunate and they've got they can't set that money aside. They're at the end of their rope, but they don't want to file for bankruptcy. But they're fortunate. They've got family or friends who might be able to loan them the money and that they can pay these people back at a later date. Or if you've got maybe a 401k where it's not going to be a terrible hardship to borrow from that, if you've got access to that, you're a good candidate. Um, so basically anybody who is growing frustrated, not seeing their debt reduced. Um, they just can't, they're, they're just, they're, they're feeling strangled by these monthly payments to the creditors and they can't do it anymore. Call us. We'll, we'll, and, and if we can't help you, we'll point you in the right direction. We're either going to point you toward consumer credit counseling, bankruptcy, or simply doing nothing. You might be judgment proof. You might get sued and there's no money that they can take from you. 
you, yeah, I don't really have anything to add other than I was a good candidate for you. And I have found working with you so easy and I don't feel abused. (laughs) The best thing is, is the emotional um, energy that it freed up for me because like, I wanted to pay my bills. I really wanted to pay my bills. I, it's not like I didn't incur the, the debt. I did. I did. It wasn't like with Wells Fargo where it was like, oh, we're just going to make shit up. <laughs> the, the space that you create as a company for people who just feel like the desperation will get them and they wake up in the morning and that's the first thing they feel is like, how do I get out from underneath this? That is the, to me, that is the greatest thing is, is that you, you take the burden off and, and that allows me to think more clearly about other situations. And then people would be amazed at how much just having that burden off of their mind allows them the freedom to actually start thinking about, okay, how do I get my life moving forward again? Yes. And you know what, can I add something to that too? Um, People are feeling very desperate. And when they, when they're in that situation, so many people, I don't know how many, how many listeners you have, or how many people are going to hear this, but this is a very, very important point to make. People are desperate and they reach out for help and they go to these top websites. You've got a lot of companies out there that do what we do, but they charge astronomical fees and they take their money first before your creditors get anything. So, but the, they've got, they also, these companies also have a dedicated sales force. We don't have that. So these salespeople, that's exactly what they're doing is they're selling a product to these desperate consumers. And oftentimes, once the consumer realizes what's going on, they end up doing more research and they find us. So if anybody out there is considering this or you're feeling desperate, do your research before you sign on with these large companies who have these dedicated salespeople. I just want, that's so important. Well, and I'm, I'm an inveterate researcher and my listeners do know that, you know, I look into things and think hard about them. And I also think that as a veteran of the Wells Fargo Wars, I'm not going to take anybody at face value. And, you know, I poked and prodded at at one of your colleagues, for, <laughs> I'm going to keep her on the phone for a really, really long time. And then when I finally met you, you were like, I hear you're a really good candidate for this. Or I don't remember what you said, but it was like, you really put us to the test before. <laughs> well, like I said, she adored you and you know that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. After 2008, when the housing bubble didn't just burst, it just like shrapneled everybody. You had a lot of these debt consolidation companies um, like mushroom and then go out of business. And when they did that, people who had been paying them, such as I've been paying you, we have an escrow account, I pay into my escrow account, but you are the one who has the paperwork on the escrow account. Well, those people who are with those corporate debt consolidation, debt counseling people, they lost all their money. So they were double, you know, double trouble. So explain the difference, you know, you've kind of already laid it out that these are corporate entities really. And and that's why they are pushing and selling is because they've got industry investors in them. You're a private company. You don't have anybody, you know, pushing on you for, uh, for dividends at the end of the year. And a lot of these other companies do. 
and you're not going to be selling my debt and my escrow accounts to a third party. So talk about how often that happens and the way that the industry has changed since 2008. Well, you know, I I can't speak for other companies, but I, I will say this now, we don't set up an escrow account for all of our clients only those who find it to be more convenient. But there, you're right. I mean, there are other companies out there where they, they insist on setting up an escrow account for their clients. So they take the client's money every single month. And gosh, God forbid, if they do go out of business, I have to be honest with you, Whitney, I don't know what would happen to that money unless these companies have some type of insurance to um, cover the the clients whose money they are carrying. Yeah, and the Um, likelihood of that is not high. And that did happen after 2008. So there are definitely protections now. There were companies um, that, first of all, you're no longer allowed to take a retainer deposit from from your clients. Um, And we do not take a retainer deposit. What we do require is your first month, but we cap it. And we don't um, uh, we don't take a retainer deposit, um, and that that kind of um, can screw us too because we have had clients where we've done work for and we didn't have any money from them, and they ended up taking settlements that we we achieved for them and did not pay us. That was kind of that's kind of bad too. But fortunately. The majority of our clients like us, they trust us, they appreciate what we do, and they do not do that to us. But there were so many companies out there that just, they were taking money from clients every single month, and they weren't applying it to any of the, and that still happens, believe me, but they've, they've worked around it. They know how to work around it. But um, so, yeah, there are there are many protections in place now for consumers relative to the debt settlement industry. And I'm glad that's true. But that being said, there are still, um, you know, these larger companies where they, you know, if you've got, let's say you've got $10,000 in your um, escrow account and they reach a settlement with one of your creditors for $8,000. And the fee for that is going for these larger companies, the fees are crazy. The fee is going to be 4,000. They they say to them, nope, you can't accept the settlement because you don't have enough in your escrow account yet. So Hmm. until there's enough for our fee, we're not going to take that settlement. And I think that's immoral, unethical. It should be illegal, but it's not. Um, but, and I don't know how these, uh, executives can sleep at night doing this to these people. So what we do is if your creditors get paid first. So if you don't have enough money in your escrow account, don't worry about the fee. Let's get your creditor paid. And then we can work on the fee over installments. If you've got sufficient funds in your escrow account for the fee, as well as settlement, absolutely. We'll process both of those. That'll be fine. Um, And then for those people who don't have escrow accounts, and again, that's the majority of our clients, if they don't have sufficient funds for the fee and they only have enough for the settlement, let's take care of the creditor because the creditor's breathing down your neck. We're not. And we'll take our fee, you know, over payments. 
So we're just a much more consumer friendly um, company. Your fees are lower than the rest of the industry. And so tell us about that. Yes, our fees are much lower than the typical um, debt settlement company charge base base basically they charge based on your overall debt amount. And I've seen their fees run anywhere from 18 to 30 percent of your overall debt. And that that's a good credit about, card company. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say talk about loan sharking, even though they're not giving you loans. It's it's just terrible. Our fees are based on performance. So we charge based upon how much money we save you per settlement. So if you have a $10,000 account and we settle it, say, for $3,300, you are only responsible for paying us what we save you. So that would be $6,700. Then it would be our fee is 18% of that $6,700 that we've saved you. So it's a much more reasonable fee than what the um, average industry fee is. Well, and it also it, it motivates you to you will profit then more if you relieve more debt. So it, it motivates you to do more on behalf of your clients, but it doesn't hurt your client in the, in the process. Right. Well, and I would say, you know, that is definitely um, an incentive. But I, I do. Uh, you know what? We just like to win. Um, so fighting against these creditors, we like to win and get the best possible settlement. I'm at the point in this process where we're nearly done with my, with your negotiating on my behalf with my creditors. So I'm not out of the woods completely yet, but, um, that I wanted to give as a disclosure, first of all, because we're still working together. Um, but I also want people to know that if they're thinking about going this route, um, it's not just an overnight type of thing. It does take time. So this is a good place for us, I think, to discuss what timelines people should expect, how the industry changes so often, and that can impact timelines. And then what kinds of debt are really um, the best to settle this way? And, and you know, if there's another kind of debt that's not good to settle this way. The timeline, if let, let's say you've got sufficient funds, um, through a, a loan from a family member, a friend, or 401k, if you've got your funds available, from the day you contact me, if your accounts are still being paid, typically we can get you out of debt in about eight months. But if we run into an issue where a credit card company is transitioning to new guidelines or new policies, sometimes it's going to take a couple of extra months so that we can figure out what they're doing and you know where this is going to go and that because that they these credit card companies they do change policies and guidelines all the time so this is something we monitor on a regular basis because we do this every day so we know when certain credit card companies are facing these changes and so that might take a few extra months but no worries it's not going to take more than that um it's not going to be in another year. It just takes a few months till they get their stuff together and you know realize which way they want to go with this. If you're setting funds aside each month, you know, like where I mentioned the person who couldn't afford a thousand dollars a month anymore, so now they're setting aside seven hundred a month. You know, it's going to take you a little bit longer because you're not necessarily going to have all the funds um, together um, by the time 
your accounts are ready to settle. So then we just prioritize each account. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got, you've got this much money. This account happens to be in this department. We really like this department. Let's focus on that account. And then we put the others on a back burner and we just closely monitor where they are, where they're going. And we settle one at a time. And sometimes it can take our clients 24 months, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes 36 months. But either way, we uh, we are very um, uh, confident that we are going to get you out of debt. We have very, very few stories that I can say that, you know, it just didn't work out for our clients. Well, I, I, I know that sometimes if it doesn't work out for the client, it was because the client didn't do what they were supposed to do on their end. I mean, this is not, oh, I don't feel like paying my bills. Like, <laughs> like that's not who you represent. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. You do occasionally come across those people who are like, "Oh, don't worry about it." You know, like you're doing it for me now. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know. And this is not a license to be irresponsible. I think this is the way to go when when you're trying to do the right thing, and the the system itself has turned you into this person that you don't recognize. This person who is um, not holding up your end of the bargain and and not able to um, meet your obligations and so forth, but it because the system has taken you and said, and you now have no power and we're going to push you in any direction that we want to. When when the debts finally are paid, then what happens to a person's credit rating? It is astonishing to me that the credit rating starts shooting up quite quickly. I am just amazed because you know what? I could not have said this to you uh, 10 years ago, but over the last couple of years, I have had so many clients reach out to me and they've been so pleased within, you know, 12, 18, 24 months after they have settled their debt, their credit score is already sufficient enough to get a conforming home mortgage, a decent rate on an auto loan. And within three months of settling your debt, you're going to start getting credit card offers in the mail. <laughs> oh, <And> boy. <laughs> I know. It's going to start the cycle all over again. I hope not. Um, it, what? It, well, you know, because, yeah, I just hope I don't want to have to go through all of the personal things I went through. That, but bleh. but um, why? What changed in the last decade? Do you know? I don't know. Something different with the credit scoring agencies. That's all I can. And I don't know what that was. I don't know. But it's like when they see those zero balances, that seems to be the big difference. Having that zero balance on your on your credit report really helps your credit score. Hmm. Now, it's I'm not good. going to help for people, you know, like who don't own, um, a, who don't have a mortgage or who maybe don't have a car payment, um, they might not see their increases as quickly as um, those others who do have these other debts on their credit report. Um, But also if you've got student loans and you're paying those, then that'll help too. So wait, so what you're saying is unsecured debt that's paid off um, sees less of a speedy credit rating recovery than people who have secured debt. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. What I'm saying is if you've got good credit on your credit report that can offset some of the delinquency that you just went through, I I think that helps as well. Um, So in other words, your previous credit history balances what's happening after the zero balances. Yes, yes. 
But those zero balances are key to um, to securing those nice credit scores. So what kinds of debt does this work for? Just You, you just mentioned student loans. Now, I don't think student loans are um, negotiable this way, correct? They are not if they are government-based. If they are government-sponsored student loans, you're screwed. You're, you, you can't even discharge those in a bankruptcy filing. Right. And that's when, that's just what the Supreme Court basically struck down was Biden was trying to make that forgivable. And now you're like you said, we're screwed. Yes. We're, we're screwed that way. But OK, so what else is negotiable? Now, but there are there are some student loans that are private student loans. There have been some some uh, banks who have offered student loans. Those can be negotiated. They're not always the best um you know, percentage as far as settlement rate, but they can be negotiated. We don't do them very often, but occasionally we do. Um, and always, obviously, credit card debt, personal loans. Even if you had a car that was repossessed and was sold at auction and you have a deficient balance on that, we can negotiate that deficient balance. So... Um, and that's sometimes medical bills, sometimes, um, people owe money to former landlords. Mm. We can negotiate that as well. Hmm. How difficult is it to negotiate medical bills? Because I know a lot of my audience has those and medical debt is just toxic. What a toxic dump that has become. You're not kidding. It's terrible. You know, it's, uh, it's unpredictable, uh, the medical debt uh, it depends on who we're dealing with, frankly. Um, sometimes they're they're wanting 80% of the balance. Sometimes we can get it down to 50% of the balance. It is more difficult, definitely, than you know, settling personal loans or credit card debt. How do they operate differently than the credit agencies? I mean, than banks. Banks, um, they know in advance that they're going to have delinquency. I mean, that's just part of the program. They they understand that they're going to have so much delinquent debt. So they kind of have policies in place. The medical debt or the medical debt, I don't think that these institutions really have anything in place for that. So it's, it's a case by case basis. I, I, some hospital systems or some health systems actually do have um, departments that you can negotiate through. I mean, that that is part of the um, healthcare industry, but it is an underdeveloped aspect of it. And I think the reason for that, and this is my speculation on it, I actually haven't done um, any reporting on it or anything like that. But I think that the reason why it's underdeveloped is because then they have to start admitting that it's a shell game anyway, the way that they run their finances and why healthcare is so expensive to begin with. You, once they start to have options for you to not have to pay what they're asking you to pay, then then it becomes, well, why am I paying that to begin with? And then they have to start opening the books in ways that they don't want right. to. Well, you know, if we are if we run into issues with the medical debt, oftentimes we can talk them into accepting very, very small monthly payments. And then um and while we're doing that, we're we're then settling our clients credit card debt and stuff like that. And then we can revisit that medical debt at a later date when all of the other debts have been settled in full. Yeah. Well, and that's another aspect of what you do that I think is important for people to realize is is that you have the bigger picture and you're not emotional about it so that you can be more strategic about how to approach these things. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, again, I just, man, I had enough 
to deal with, to then have to be on my own fighting this crap all over again, that you were able to take away the the potential exposure to derogatory messages about who I am. Yes. Is a huge ability for me to continue to be positive and to move forward. Again, I'm older and I went through this before with Wells Fargo. So I'm also less likely to feel like, well, I'm a piece of crap. But I used to say to the people on the phone at Wells Fargo, how do you sleep at night? You've never met me. You'll never meet me. You don't know what I look like. You don't know anything about me, but you are actively ruining my life. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? And then, you know, I would say, and by the way, I know you have no choice because this is your job and you're putting this position, but you're in a position where you are being morally injured. How do you feel about that? That you have to work for people who are making you ruin my life. And this is the industry. This is why I am so outraged about it and why I'm opening up my personal life to everybody like this. So to let them know, look, I found an, I found a resource. I want other people to have access to this resource. And if it's not a resource that works out for them, because this is not the, they're not the right profile for this kind of work, fine. At least they get a better understanding about how this industry targets them into feeling so crappy about themselves. They give up and they just let the industry roll over them. But I actually remember saying to somebody I got eventually at Wells Fargo, how many heart attacks have you caused? How many people jumped off a roof because of what you're doing? Because you know people are doing that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Did you get any answers from them? Never. They'd stay quiet. They'd yeah. say, um, I understand that this is a difficult time for you. And I'd say it wasn't until you made it one. I mean, <laughs> I was just not backing down ever. No, that had to have been a terrible, terrible time for you. Four years it took. Yep, it was. And people didn't believe me. Oh, it was terrible. People were like, no business would operate like that. Well, of course it came out. This was back in like, I think it started for me in 2013 and it went all the way up. Well, actually 2016 is when it was it, it ended. And it since then we've found out that, oh yeah, I was one of millions of people that this was happening to. But I would try and explain to people why I was not able to sell my home, which is when it all began. No one would believe me. So then on top of, me having this problem where I was like, what do you mean? I oh, I didn't like, what are you even talking about? This makes no sense. Then I was turning around and saying to people, oh, I can't pay you because this is what's going on. They're like, that is the craziest story. Of course, you just made that up. That would never happen. Banks wouldn't do that. Well, yes, they would <laughs> in a heartbeat. Yes, they would. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that is important for people to know either about the industry in general or about their personal situation that you would be looking for before you would take them on board or anything else that I haven't thought to bring up that you want to make sure people know? No, you know, the, the only, the, the, I, I think I already made the point and I just, I can't stress it enough. Do your research. Don't climb on board with a company just because you think they're going to, they put your mind at ease during that initial call and, and also, if they are calling you and calling you and calling you, because this is what they do, um, they're very aggressive in their sales tactics. If the, if you talk to a debt settlement company and the, those calls are continuing and they continue reaching out to you, run the other way. Just <laughs> run. Don't walk. Run. So um, let's review that. So if they continue to try and sell to you when you either haven't made your decision yet, or you just decide that you don't want to deal with them. So you stop talking to them. 
That's a red flag. I think it is. I mean, that's just, you know, like I said, we've had, because you're, you're, it's not easy to find us. We don't spend a lot of money on advertising. We're, you know, our fees are too low. You know, we just can't afford a lot of money on advertising. So in order to find our company, you really have to do your research. Mm -hmm. And those are, those are the best clients because the clients who find us, they have done their research. I don't think these other companies take into consideration people's personal situations. Not everybody's a good candidate, but these larger companies, they'll take you on whether you're a good candidate or not. You know, they don't, because they're going to, they're going to make money off of you. You yeah, know? that's the that's the thing. Yeah. No matter what, because they're going to pay themselves first. Yes, and they're misleading. They're a lot of them are misleading and say, okay, your new monthly payment is going to be, you know, let's say these people were paying a thousand a month. Your new pay- monthly payment is going to be four sixty two fifty. So these consumers think four sixty two fifty. Oh, they're consolidating all of my debt and they're making payments to my creditors. No, that's not what's happening. Your creditors are not getting paid. And we've had people come to us and say, I thought they were paying our creditors and we were paying them this much money and um, they weren't paying anybody. Well, that's because they weren't honest with you from the beginning. They didn't explain to you what debt settlement is, what the process is. So are there any websites or um, organizations that you can think of that would be worthwhile for people to look at? Because I can't think of any except the Consumer um, Finance Protection Bureau, which is now maybe going to have to cease to exist thanks to the last administration. We'll find out what the Supreme Court says later in 2024. But they're really... I mean, I did, I think I took three weeks before I came across you and it was this kind of crosswise thing where I was looking at blogs and I found a post that you had written and it was like 10 years old. And I was like, wait a minute, who is this person? And then eventually, I, but it really was not an obvious find. I don't trust anything on the internet except my website, <laughs> Just, you know, because we are honest, we really are. But there's so much misinformation out there. So frankly, I've got nothing current that I can offer Hmm. I think you're right, though. I don't think much does exist because I would tell you if it did, because I <laughs> I went pawing through everything I could find. So, well, Marie, I, I just really I'm so grateful. People who are in way worse situations than I am. I mean, I still oh, know. I am, I am yeah. a blessed human being. Oh, yeah. We've got many people in much worse off than you are. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll feel my self pity as much that anybody would feel their own self pity. But <laughs> so, like, yeah, my situation was crap. But there are people who are really, really like every day is a struggle. I want them to find help through people such as yourself. Yeah, it's not meant to be like this. It's not. We are not meant to support so big a corrupt system. Well, thank you so much, Marie. I really appreciate car- you carving out uh, this hour to talk to my audience. Could you please tell people how they can get a hold of you? Sure. You can um, visit our website at www.donaldsonwilliams.com. D-O-N-A-L-D-S-O-N-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S.com. Um, just access to the, the website and we've got a lot of information um, there's so many blog posts that I've put out there on the website, so much information. And, uh, you can also email me if you'd like. My email is marie at donaldsonwilliams.com. 
And um, I also give you our, our phone number is 586-263-4590. After our initial contact, I always provide my clients with my personal cell phone number. So you'll always have access to me during the day, even in the evenings and weekends. So I do provide that after our initial contact. Right. And you're really thorough. I know that my interview with your company was very thorough. And um, we talked about all the different ways that um, I could maybe meet the obligations that I had. And no, I didn't feel hard sell. Um, I will say that. I remember even thinking, like, I hope they don't reject me. I want to do this. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, they may, they may say you should do something else. And yeah, you know, so, and yeah. there, are, there are people who are good candidates and they're just not ready yet. And because it's a very difficult decision to make, this is an intimidating time in your life. It's very difficult to make the decision to settle your debt. So it's not easy. So there are people who just aren't ready yet. And even if I find that they're a real good candidate, I'm not going to push anybody. This has to be your personal decision. If I push you into something, you're not going to feel comfortable with it. This has to come from within yourself. And once you've made the decision and you're comfortable enough, then that's fine. We will get you through. We will carve out time to talk with you. Anytime you're having a bad day, we are here. We will talk with you. We'll talk you off the ledge. We'll get mm -hmm. you through. And once you reach that first settlement, I think a lot of people feel so much comfortable and they say, oh my gosh, this does work. It does mm -hmm. work. I see light at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah, I did it. I did a little dance the first time. <laughs> I, know, I know you were just so thrilled. <laughs> I was because it was so, it was like exactly as you said, the light at the end of the tunnel was like, oh, something's working at least in my life. <laughs> Yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We will get your debt settled. We will, you will be debt free. You've been listening to Documental and News from the Insold Universe. I'm your host and producer, Whitney McKnight. Thanks for listening.